Hey, church family, Chris and Tiffany here. We're glad to be with you again. We're going to talk today about power and prayer evangelism and transformation of territories. I'd like to start off by pointing out that Tiffany and I are not presenting these as having mastered these topics by any means. We're still learning and growing. That's the case for each one of these topics. However, this one in particular, much of what we're going to cover in this topic today is new to us. Things that we're recently learning, things that we're excited to apply as a church community and individually in our own lives. And the truth is that neither Chris nor I have evangelism as one of our primary gifts. (laughs) So we are always being stretched in the area of evangelism when it comes to effective ways to reach the lost, when it comes to effective ways to take our cities for Christ. It's something we're always looking to those who have and carry this gift for wisdom and experience that speaks testimony. And we try to glean from that experience, testimony, and wisdom as much as possible. So a lot of what we're going to share with you today is not necessarily firsthand, but more secondhand, as we have learned and gleaned from others who are strong in this area and the Lord is really using and blessing. All right, so let's start with power and prayer evangelism. We're going to break that down into its two components beginning with power evangelism. And the simple question is, what is power evangelism? We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about moving in the anointing and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So as we look toward evangelism, reaching our communities, we're recognizing that we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit that the efforts in our own flesh will pale in significance to what we can accomplish in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important at this point to ask ourselves the question, why the term power evangelism? Isn't evangelism enough? Most of the time when the church talks about evangelism, it's not connected with any other adjective or any other idea because the concept of sharing the gospel, which is evangelism, for the sake of salvation is important enough that as a church, capital C, we've talked about that for centuries with just that one primary focus. But Chris and I believe that evangelism as absolutely crucial to our calling as believers as it is, it's not enough to look at alone, isolated, without other elements connected to it. And what we mean by that is when we add power in front of the word evangelism, we begin to change the lens through which we see evangelism. And the reason that's important is because, as Chris already noted, we cannot evangelize without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a given. I think all Christians from all denominations would pretty much agree on that. But we want to take that a step further. And I want to read to you a passage from Corinthians. And this is included in the vision statement. But it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Paul is speaking here to the Corinthian church. And he says, And I... When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear 
and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This passage explains so pointedly why this idea of power evangelism is so crucial for us as a church, especially in this hour. I love how Paul lays it out here for the Corinthian church. He's reminding them of what it was like when he came to them and shared the gospel with them. When he says, I came proclaiming the testimony of God, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, he specifies that in the next verse where he says, I decided to know nothing among you except... Jesus Christ and him crucified, the gospel. But then he goes on to say, I did this in weakness and I did it not in plausible speech. In other words, not in some kind of presentation that was going to wow you with my oratory skills or give you a takeaway of that man is an incredible teacher. That man just blew me away. My mind is blown. That was Paul's exact opposite intention. He came in weakness. He came in trembling so that the power of the gospel would actually rest upon the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit through him. And then Paul sums up this whole idea in saying, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Church, how easy it is for us to allow our faith to rest in the wisdom of men rather than in the power of God. And especially when it comes to evangelism, oftentimes we think of a Billy Graham or a Greg Laurie or some person who has this gift of evangelism and also has the ability to speak and present this gift in a very polished, persuasive way with godly rhetoric that causes men's hearts to be turned. But what I love here about Paul and what he's declaring is that he didn't come with any of that to the Corinthians. And if we were to have sat in on those church meetings, maybe we would have a different takeaway. Maybe we would think, wow, Paul really packed a punch with what he shared. But what he's declaring here is that, no, it rested on the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the foundation for your faith. All right. So what does this look like? We want to bring up examples of where we often see power evangelism at work and displayed in Costa Rica. As the Holy Spirit begins to pour out in power through, for example, healing, through prophetic words, through especially deliverances, demonic deliverances, this opens up the heart of the individual and softens their heart and causes blinders to come off of their eyes and they're suddenly open to the gospel. And this has been the door so many times, whether we're out in the streets or in a church. This has been the door to decisions for Christ in Costa Rica. And I can think of a time where uh, we broke off into smaller teams to do kind of a treasure hunt. And we're leaning into the Holy Spirit for direction on where to walk, literally, which direction to turn. And as he does that, we're encountering a young man. We ended up in a half-hour conversation with him, and he gave his life to Christ. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. As simple as the Holy Spirit directing you which way to walk, all the way through to an incredible physical healing 
and everything in between. It's being led by the Holy Spirit, letting Him do the heavy lifting. And obviously, this isn't rocket science. All of us as believers in Christ can take a step back and say, well, that seems rather obvious that when someone experiences the power of God in a way that manifests very clearly in their lives, they're going to recognize maybe even for the first time, oh my gosh, God is real. God is real and he loves me. God is real and he wants to show himself to me. My heart has been softened by experiencing the healing of God, the love of God, the deliverance of God. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. None of those things are a mystery to us, but somehow I believe over the centuries as the church at large, we've lost the key component of this in our evangelizing efforts. We have relied on persuasive words. We have relied on rhetoric. We've relied on powerful arguments to persuade someone to come to the truth of the gospel rather than trusting that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to turn someone's heart, to soften, to move, to bring them to the point of salvation, if we will just kind of get out of the way, so to speak, and let him do what he does best. And this is why we want to convey the importance of this term, power evangelism, as Tiffany was saying earlier, because, for example, if I know okay, my gifting is not evangelism, that's not my strong suit, and I'm pointing to others or even relying on others for this, anytime I do have to step into that role or get to step into that role of evangelism, I'm timid, I'm reserved, I'm embarrassed, because I feel like it's all on me. And so power evangelism helps to get our eyes off of ourselves, even if we're gifted in this area, and back on the Holy Spirit, the one who is doing the work. Amen. I think also it's important to note that when we walk in this, when we walk in power evangelism, we have a mentality that everyone we encounter is ready to have a moment with God. (laughs) In other words, The person that we see at the market, the person that we see at the pier, the person that we meet on the trail when we're out for a walk, wherever it may be, they are actually ready to have an encounter with Jesus no matter where they're at in the salvation road. And maybe they've never heard the gospel. Maybe they've walked away from the church. Maybe they've been raised in the gospel, raised in the church. It doesn't really matter where they're at. Whoever they are, they're primed and ready to have an encounter with God, with the living God of the universe. So if we can carry that mentality of God wants to touch this person, God wants to bless them, heal them, minister to them, meet them where they're at, speak life over them. It doesn't matter where they're at in the process of salvation. If we can then release whatever God has for that person into their lives, knowing that it will either be a seed that is planted or actually bring that person in that moment to conviction and salvation, we can have confidence rather than feeling, as Chris said, like the weight of converting this person into the truth is all on our shoulders. All right, so now let's go to where this all starts, which is prayer evangelism. This has to begin on our knees. And so one of the reasons that we believe in prayer walks and we focus on prayer walks is because this is the primer. This is how we launch an evangelism. We have to realize that this is a spiritual battle 
and that there's warring that happens in the heavenlies and that our prayer is powerful. And this is exactly how God wants us to approach evangelism, we believe. First, through prayer. So as we launch, for example, in a city, it's going to start neighborhood by neighborhood through prayer walking. And when I say prayer walking, I mean specifically, if we run into somebody, we get an opportunity to minister, fantastic. But our focus needs to be on interceding our way through a neighborhood, asking the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, to give us discernment about what's going on in a particular neighborhood, and standing in the gap. This is what begins to change our hearts for a city And this is what begins to change the spiritual climate for the area that we're going after. I think if you take some time to read Paul's letters to the churches, beginning with Romans and going all the way through 2 Timothy, you begin to put together this picture of the lost and how Paul describes them. He he uses so many different terms and goes into depth in talking about the lost and how they are blinded, how they are completely under the control of the God of this world, how they are literally lost and without hope. And if you begin to recognize as you're reading these things, oh my goodness, there is a spiritual connection here. In other words, these people aren't just choosing ignorance. They're not just choosing to be anti-God. There is actually a spirit or many spirits at work in their lives to keep them bound and captive in sin so that their ultimate destination for eternity is hell. And when we pull back and look at that, we understand okay, if this is a spiritual root, we have to attack it with a spiritual weapon. And that spiritual weapon is prayer. And so it's so important for us, as Chris said, to begin with prayer. Anytime we're thinking about launching an evangelism campaign or taking territory with a mentality of sharing the gospel with the lost, we always have to start with prayer. And Tiffany Edsev also has taught us in his beautifully written book, Ecclesia, the four elements of prayer. Right. He outlines four steps of intercession, which he bases on Jesus's outline in Luke chapter 10, verses four through nine. And even though they're provided in the vision statement, I'm going to just go through them very quickly to give you an idea of how he has seen transformation come to city after city after city all over the world through these four steps of intercession. And the first step that he outlines is to bless. And the way that he encourages us to do that is to literally begin to prayer walk our cities, to prayer walk our neighborhoods and speak blessing over the lost in that neighborhood or city. And specifically as we bless, one of the things that we're doing is we're releasing peace over that neighborhood, over that home, over that Mm. family. And I want us to think not about peace from maybe our Western view of looking at peace, absence of conflict, but to look at peace from a Hebrew view, which is shalom, which is the fullness of the well-being and beauty and goodness and power and presence of God in someone's life. So when we release the shalom of God, which we would translate as the peace of God over someone or their home or our neighborhood, 
we are releasing all of those things. And what happens when we do that is we actually begin to neutralize through our prayers the power of darkness, which is blinding them. We're releasing this goodness of God, this wholeness of God, this power of God, the peace of God, and the powers of darkness which have held them literally begin to crumble as we release this peace over the lost. And then the second would be fellowship. And this is Fairly self-explanatory. This is one area where uh, the Western church often gets it right. We do a good job of building community, of, of breaking bread together, of spending time together and building relationship. The point here is that this is what we're doing and pouring into the pre-saved. These are discipleship relationships with the pre-saved where we're building bridges of fellowship with those who don't yet know Jesus. And the key to this is prayer. Once again, this is the second step of intercession. So fellowship is combined with fervent prayer before you go to hang out with those neighbors. After you hang out with those neighbors, you are praying over them. You're releasing God's power over them. You are coming against the spirits that are blinding them and then using that fellowship time to build a bridge of relationship. The next step would be to minister. So once we begin to build that bridge of relationship through prayer and through fellowship, we begin to meet the practical needs of the lost in our neighborhood and in our cities and ask them specifically at that point, how can I pray for you? So perhaps our neighbor is going through chemotherapy because he or she has cancer. And so not only do we fellowship with them, but we then take that next step and say, how can I help you? Can I take you to your chemotherapy appointment? Can I bring you a meal? Can I do the marketing for you? All of those things are meeting their practical needs. But then we also add the key element of How can I pray for you? And at that moment, we pray with them, pray over them in their presence, releasing over them the power of God in a way that they get to tangibly see. And the last step would be proclamation. And this is, we're talking about proclamation prayer. And essentially the bottom line here is praying the prayer of salvation for the lost. And so leading that individual to that place of asking for salvation. And if you've been doing the previous three steps, it would be important too to note that there is a proclamation that you are responsible for, which is, okay, Lord, I see that these bridges have been built and I see that it's time. And so I am going to proclaim the kingdom of God has come to this individual or this neighborhood. It's time for salvation to be released. All of these things are important elements of evangelism and the bigger picture being important elements of transformation. Evangelism being the immediate goal and transformation, cultural transformation being the long-term goal. So let's open up that topic of transformation. Yeah, we've already talked in previous podcasts about the seven mountains of influence and how Every area of culture should experience the transformation of the power of God at work in it through our lives and through our callings. 
But we're going to take a little bit of a step back now and talk about specifically the transformation of territories in general, not specific mountains, but territories. And when we say territories, what we're talking about is the area, the region, the city that you know and are confident the Lord has called you to. He's called you to minister there. He's called you to live there. He's called you to invest there, put down roots there. Wherever the Lord has called you to, that's your territory. And so we want to see our territories transformed by the power of God. That starts with embracing both a kingdom mindset and a kingdom lifestyle, both of those things. So when we are kingdom carriers, we're going to be releasing God's power, his rule, his reign, wherever we go. But we want to see specific transformation in areas of our society to enable us to say and declare, look, the kingdom of God has come and it's evidenced by this. So these are not sectors of society like we talk about in mountains of influence. These are regional areas. This is our neighborhood. This is our backyard. This is our city or our neighboring city, the area that is the burden on our hearts that God has given us. And again, we're going to lean into Ed Silvoso's book, Ecclesia, to share with you five paradigms that we have to begin to embrace if we want to see transformation take place in our regions. So the first would be discipling nations, not just individuals. This is actually the scriptural principle found in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, when Jesus commissions the disciples to the nations. Right. I think it's important for us to note that oftentimes the church has a mentality of go and disciple the nations, but what that means is the individual in the nation. Well, yes, that's true. We have to start with individuals, but we are also called to disciple the nations, to release the power, the goodness, the peace and joy of God, of the kingdom of God, to the nations at large. God not only works with individuals, but he also works with nations and nations are important to him. So we have to begin to have a mindset shift of not just looking at the individual, but also having a broader scope and discipling nations and believing God to use us to do that. Honey, I remember that back in late 2016, we started to recognize that the Lord had given us a very clear burden for South Orange County, particularly the San Juan Capistrano Valley and down. And we would drive around all of the neighborhoods within South Orange County and put stakes in the ground for the kingdom and make declarations. We're talking about that kind of a territorial responsibility where we're one nation, the nation of the United States, but break it down into smaller chunks the people group, the collection of people that represent South Orange County. This is the calling that we're talking about. It's bigger than just an individual. The second point deals with the marketplace and the fact that the atonement of Jesus not only redeems individuals, but it also redeems everything that those individuals put their hands to. What that would look like for those of us who are out in the marketplace is that 
the atonement of Christ is not just for ourselves individually, but also for our work and for the atmosphere in which we work and for how that atmosphere has an effect on the nation at large. So it has this ripple effect on everything that our hands touch. Right. And the third category is closely related to that. It has to do with bringing who we are as worshipers into the marketplace. And so what we're doing is we're transforming our places of work into houses of worship. Which rolls us right into point number four, the fact that Jesus then begins to build his church. Jesus is the one who builds these houses of worship in the marketplace into his church. So we bring as ministers of the gospel, the power of God into the marketplace, whether we are actively engaged as marketplace ministers, or we are someone who is just interacting on limited terms with the marketplace. We bring the power of God into that atmosphere to allow the church of God to be raised up in these marketplace environments, not just within the four walls of the church. And this is pivotal to who we are as house churches, because we are looking then not just to see people come into the walls of our house to experience God, but we're actually looking to create collections of believers and pre-believers out in the environments that we're daily interacting in. Okay, and finally, we've got the elimination of systemic poverty. And in Ecclesia, the four dimensions of systemic poverty are identified. Yeah, the four areas are spiritual, relational, motivational, and material. And the reason that these are important is because what we see is that the gospel is truly transformational. And when individual lives are transformed by the gospel, that then leads to marketplaces being transformed by the gospel, which then leads to the elimination of these four areas of poverty, spiritual poverty, which we've already discussed, relational poverty, meaning that Families and communities, racial groups, all are transformed in the way they interact with one another once the principles of the gospel are released into a particular territory. Then motivational poverty looks like the fact that many, many people groups are under this cloud of a lack of motivation towards taking dominion as the Lord declares that we should do in Genesis. At the beginning of Genesis, he puts man in the garden and says, you are to have dominion. And when we are living under the bondage of the enemy, oftentimes that right dominion and authority and that motivation to walk in that in a righteous manner is lost. And so motivational freedom then begins to look like coming into a place where we actually begin to have motivation in families or as individuals to see fruitfulness, to see abundance, to see the work of our hands be blessed, and to see those around us be blessed, that our, our cities and our communities would actually begin to thrive. Praise God. Amen. So this has been a lot, but we believe that these two topics, evangelism and transformation, are fundamentally intertwined. And so that's why we've spent a lot of time, a little bit of extra time this particular session, bringing those two together. So thank you for sticking with us. 
And as we've mentioned the book Ecclesia by Ed Silvoso, we just want to remind you that is one of the sources listed on the curriculum list that you'll find at the very end of the vision statement. We encourage you to grab hold of it, dig into it. It's meaty, it's transformative. It will be a blessing. You guys are a blessing. We love you. We're looking forward to connecting with you again soon.